Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning and welcome to Tuesday. It's the 23rd of May and this is Money Talk. A warm welcome from me, Peter Lewis. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. And if you go to my website, which is peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, you'll find all the links to your favourite podcast apps there. And this programme is also on Facebook. Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page and I'm on Twitter at MoneyTalkR3. And this podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, President Joe Biden and top Republican Kevin McCarthy are meeting today to try and break the impasse on lifting the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. With just 10 days left before the earliest date that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the US could realistically default. Mr McCarthy said the two parties must strike a debt deal this week to avoid a catastrophic US default that could happen as soon as June the 1st. India's central bank sought to calm the public yesterday after its sudden decision to withdraw its highest value currency notes from circulation triggered alarm about financial stability. The demonetization drive begins today and people will have until 30th of September to deposit their 2,000 rupee notes, which are worth about 24 US dollars, into their bank accounts in batches of a maximum 20,000 rupees each, or they can exchange them for other denominations. The 2,000 rupee denomination accounts for about 11% of cash in circulation. The annual inflation rate in Hong Kong accelerated to 2.1% year-on-year in April, rising from 1.7% in the previous two months. That was almost in line with economists' forecasts of 2%. The main upward pressure came from alcoholic drinks and tobacco, which soared by more than 18%, and and utilities such as electricity, gas and water, which surged 17.8%. And Facebook owner Meta has been hit with a record 1.2 billion euro fine by the EU and ordered by the Irish Data Protection Commission to suspend transfers of personal user data to the US. The commission, which oversees Meta's operations in the EU, alleges that the company infringed the bloc's general data protection regulation when it continued to send the personal data of European citizens to the US. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, James Wong, who's chief executive officer at Cathasia Securities, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. US stocks closed little changed ahead of a 5.30pm meeting at the White House between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to try and resolve the debt ceiling impasse. The S&P 500 was under 0.1% higher, finishing at 4,193. The Dow lost 140 points, or 0.4% to end at 33,287. The Nasdaq Composite gained half a percent to settle at 12,721. That's its highest close since last August. Shares of regional bank PacWest surged almost 20% after it agreed to sell $2.6 billion of real estate loans as it refocuses on its core business. And shares of Micron Technology fell almost 3% amid news that China will restrict some sales of the memory chip maker's products after failing the country's Cyberspace Administration network review. U.S. Treasuries, which had been bid during the Asian and European sessions, sold off during New York trading hours after Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kishkari said that even if the Fed pauses on rate hikes in June to collect more information, interest rates may need to eventually go north of 6%. 
St. Louis Fed President James Bullard backed that view, saying he anticipated two more rate rises this year. The yield on the two-year note settled three basis points higher at 4.32%. That's the highest since March the 10th. The 10-year yield closed four basis points firmer at 3.72%. And this is the seventh straight down now of higher yields. Japanese stocks rose for the seventh consecutive day to a new 33-year high yesterday. The Nikkei 225 gained 0.9% and the Topics rose 0.7%, maintaining the highest level since 1990. The Nikkei 225 is up over 20% year-to-date. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index led gains in the region, rising 228 points or 1.2% to 19,678. The Hang Seng Tech Index jumped 2.1%. Uh, In mainland China, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.4% to 3,296. Chinese semiconductor-related stocks rose on Monday after Beijing on Sunday banned operators of key infrastructure from buying products made by the US's largest chip manufacturer, Micron, over security concerns. Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, which is China's biggest contract chip maker, added 1.2% in Hong Kong trading, while Hong Semiconductor, the country's number two, gained 0.9%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Delighted to welcome our Tuesday morning guests we have with us, Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, as we do every Tuesday morning. Morning, Stuart. Lovely wet morning it is too. It is a wet morning as well, isn't it? And we also have with us James Wong, who's Chief Executive Officer at Cathasis Securities. Hi, James. Good morning, Peter. And over in the US, in Washington, D.C., more specifically, but actually visiting us here in Hong Kong right now, I should say. I'm so used to saying in Washington, D.C., sitting right here in Hong Kong, is our U.S. economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Welcome to Hong Kong. Thank you very much. I threw you a curveball, didn't I? Here I am in Hong Kong. You're not used to saying I'm not used to saying it at all. I just automatically reel off Washington, D.C. and forget that actually you have arrived here. But great to have you here in Hong Kong. Um, And let's start. Well, I was going to say let's start in Washington, D.C., but uh, we'll pretend. The Cyberspace Administration of China said Sunday its seven-week investigation of products from Micron Technology found significant security risks that would affect national security and it banned operators of key Chinese information infrastructure, such as telecommunications companies and state-owned banks against buying the company's goods. And this comes just a few hours after the end of the G7 summit in Hiroshima, Japan on Sunday, when President Joe Biden said he expected to see a thaw in US relations with Beijing. Um, Barry, not much sign of a thaw there, is there? Yeah, that's true. That's true. However, it seems to me what we've got, Peter, is... um the competition between China and the West is shifted very significantly into the high-tech arena. And this is tit for tat. So, yes, this action against Micron is uh, significant. But clearly, what you saw in Hiroshima, where the G7 countries made this extraordinary, you know, stark rebuke of China, is, um, is pretty significant. There's remarkable unity, not just on Ukraine, but on China among the G7 nations. So that's the Europeans, the North Americans, and the Japanese. Yeah, I I think uh, Mr. Biden's press conference, by the way, he was remarkably articulate. And, uh, you know, what what the West is trying to do is thread a needle here and say, um, 
We want the trade relations to go on. We're not decoupling, we're de-risking, but we're not going to allow these security threats to overpower our relationship or allow you an advantage. So we'll see if this can all happen. But China isn't buying that, is it, at all? It is sort of, it gave quite a stern rebuke to the G7 over that, even summoned the Japanese ambassador. Well, I, does, I'm not surprised. I mean, you'd expect the Chinese to take a very strong reaction. But I, I would uh, think, just like much of the this tough communique that came out of Hiroshima is um, prepared weeks in advance, mm. I would think that the Chinese were ready and mm. they made their stance very clear. But uh, it's no surprise. This issue of um, China banning microchips from Micron, I, I mean, the thing is that it's probably doing it before the U.S. decides not to sell sell them to China anyway, because the U.S. has been trying to <laughs> sort of row back all all its um, technology and uh, and what goes to China. So this is um, you know a key issue. According to the Financial Times, China represented about ten percent of Micron's sales of microchips, so quite a significant number. But at Indeed. the same time. But, but at the same time, um, it's it probably China's acting ahead of what the U.S. might have otherwise done. So, so no one should be terribly surprised about it. Uh, and there are plenty of other sources. Um, and, and I'm sure Samsung, for example, will be more than happy to make up the difference if, if that occurs. Um, because they, they've still certainly got uh, capacity to do that. James, what, what do you make of this and, and how damaging is it to the, the overall um, supply chain, global supply chain for semiconductors? No, I think it's, we're, we're still in a, um, in a bottoming up, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a phase that the semiconductor uh, inventories are still more than what the industry really needs. And uh, so there is an oversupply, and I don't think this is going to cost a lot of uh, uh, trouble in the supply chain and i think china is trying to make a statement and because uh, like barry said the g7 is trying to say on one hand we want the trade relationship to stay intact and in another uh, we don't want you to have any kind of economic coercion so that's and uh china also said so uh, mr biden said there is probably going to be a thaw but on the other hand uh the uh, the G7 countries have uh, expelled Chinese uh, dip- diplomats, and so I, I don't think China China is happy with what the G7 is uh, uh, the harsh communicate at all. So I think this is more like a statement. Mm. Does this um, ban on Micron products obviously it damages Micron? Does it also damage China itself because they do they do need semiconductors, don't they? And they're they're struggling to get them. And unless other manufacturers like Samsung, like uh, Taiwan Semiconductors, step into the fray, isn't it going to leave them rather short of products they desperately need? Yeah, I think well, what yeah, China. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say yes. I think it, I mean it will be of some. Uh, concerned China because they do need these, but then there are other sources, as as, you, as you've highlighted, um, and it's and it may be that there is a slowdown in manufacture of certain products. But but these are, um, I, I, I think, the ban that uh, is occurring is not blanket ban, so everything is is stopped, but only um, for certain industries in China 
are they not being allowed? Because China has the concerns that the U.S. has, um, that uh, some of the chips are being used in government-sensitive organizations where information mm-hmm. could secretly be passed back from China to the U.S. government. Um, it's a very tit-for-tat very, um, sort of approach they're taking, and um, no one should be very surprised by it, really. Yeah, I th- Stuart, I think that's a very important point. And, and by the way, I think, James, you're, you're right about the current surplus of semiconductors. But look at this statement that came out of Hiroshima. It says, we ch- oppose the illegitimate Chinese technology transfer and data disclosures rules. So, you know, this is, this is the arena. Most of us have no idea the extent to which semiconductors are everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. how many in, a, in an automobile? How many in, certainly our phones, they're filled with them. But, uh, yeah, it's this data transfer. And, of course, China has a policy of, of many years standing that uh, data cannot be removed from China. What is, don't they call it the data disclosure rule? But, uh, yeah, this is, this is, there's going to be much more competition in this arena. James, you were going to say something about um, whether or not this damages China as well? Yeah, I think I think the damage has already been done for a long time ago, and uh, this is not gonna like make things uh, any worse because what China needs is the manufacturing technology for some higher tech, higher level tech. Uh, for for example, like chips with uh, uh, fourteen or eleven nanometer diameter or less. And uh, right now, I think Taiwan Semiconductor is like two generations ahead of China. And uh, China, the, the Chinese chip manufacturers cannot get the equipment that it needed to have the, the higher tech level chips made. So Micron, I, I don't think uh, it's going to, the, the thing with Micron, I don't think it's going to make things any worse. Mm. I mean, Barry, Joe Biden was talking about this imminent thaw. Do, do you think that can happen? Can this just be contained now uh, to semiconductors? Because China, quite rightly, is, is quite upset about this, isn't it? It doesn't even want to talk um, at the moment. It says, you know, these talks yes, that we have are insincere. I think, that's, I think that's part of threading the needle. If, if So far, so good. I mean, look, that balloon incident of some months ago, mm. the Americans sort of dropped it. You know, they don't talk about it anymore. And that makes China happy. And then there were some restrictions on, I think, the Chinese defense minister traveling. Mm. Uh, those could be lifted. You know, there are areas we forget. Both countries require the other. I mean, we're very important in terms of these trade relationships. So, yeah, I think it could happen. And the talks could be on climate. The talks could be on the environment. You know, it could be uh, any number of things. But I wouldn't be surprised to see an opening to China uh, announced from Beijing or from Washington in the next few weeks or months. Stuart, are you... you um, no, I think, uh, I think Barry's right. Uh, we've, ha- we've have gone through the, um, the, 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 the frosty element of the relationship and now the potential for a thaw is quite high. Um, I think both sides do want to be able to deal with each other. They want to deal with each other at high level as well as lower levels. And, and it's because of the various sanctions that has really made it very difficult in, in areas that um, probably U.S. more especially would like to be talking to China about. And, and therefore, yes, I think we will see some changes going forward. And I hope, uh, I, I think we should hope that they are all positive changes and less of the rhetoric that we sometimes get between the two political sides. 
James, how do you think things can get back on track between the the US, where it's the US and the G7 now, isn't it? And uh, and including Japan, um, and and China's pretty upset with Japan at the moment. Summoned its ambassador yesterday. Yeah. How how can things get back on track, James? I think it's hard. I think it's hard. Uh, the, the, like like we said and Barry said before, the uh, the communique was was not friendly. And uh, so Biden saying that there might be a thaw very soon. It's more like uh, uh, hitting the guy and then patting the guy in the back, so just to make him <laughs> feel right. a little more, You're more right. comfortable. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think Biden really means it. And and even if even if he is uh, saying that after a harsh communique makes it less sincere. So uh, I think it it was like China banning Micron, uh, Biden saying it is just another statement. Okay, well, let's move on to another issue going on in Washington. President Joe Biden and top Republican Kevin McCarthy are meeting today uh, with just 10 days left before the earliest date that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the US could realistically default. Um, And they're meeting to try and see if they can come to an agreement on what is the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling, which needs to be raised. Um, Barry, what, what is it that's stopping them coming to an agreement? Politics. Politics. (laughs) Politics. <laughs> That's the name of the game. You know, the, the Democrats are on, the, on their back foot. They're fearful that the Republicans could control the Senate after the 24 elections. This June 1st deadline is artificial, but, you know, it focuses the mind. And uh, we'll see. I mean, the two sides are just uh, trying to play for their constituencies. The Democrats want to be able to say... We didn't cut any spending on essential programs to help people. And the Republicans saying, we cut spending. So we'll see how this plays out. It sounds like it might be quite a good time for Senator McCarthy to be meeting with Joe Biden. After all, he'll be getting back to Washington. He'll be probably fully jet-lagged and he'll <laughs> maybe not, not be totally compensatious. Um, he's, he's done a fair bit of travel in the last... Uh, uh, seven days. So, um, you know, it, it, realistically, is it is it really Joe Biden that he's going to be seeing, or is it going to be uh, Joe Biden sitting there and someone else doing the discussion? I think that's that's the real the realistic position. Mm. James, what, what's the market impact of this? Equities seem to be quite quite calm, don't they? Although we are seeing yes. movements in the bond markets and the U.S. dollar, though. Yes, I agree. I, I don't think equity market is pricing in any kind of uh, desolating debt ceiling of failure of, uh, risks. And uh, there is a huge impact for TBOs. If we look at the TBOs that is going to be mature on uh, May 25th, and then compare the, the yield on that with the yield of the TBO that is going to be mature on June the 6th, we can find there is a huge kink. Uh, the, the, the yield on uh, the yield of the TBO mature on uh, May 25th is probably uh, three or yeah, about probably 3.45% uh, at this time. And then the TBO is mature on June 6th. The yield is going to be, it is, is about uh, 5.2%. It's a huge uh, kink on the TBO yield curve. So I think that the debt market is kind of uh, anxious for the debt ceiling approaching. And uh, the CDS market, of course, if we look at the U.S. sovereign CDS uh, three month, uh, one year, uh, the uh, the rate is already exceeding what we had seen in 
2011, and 2013. But if we look at five-year CDS, it's still uh, some. It's it's still uh, pretty close to the 2008 level, but it's already surpassed the uh, 2011-2013 level. So I, I think uh, people are buying hedges, but uh, they are still long on the uh, equity market. But the the way that they long is kind of different than before, because we've seen the uh, indexes just uh, going nowhere. But there are a few big names, uh, the big blue chips are going upwards. And uh, that's probably because a lot of people and hedge fund managers are placing their long bets on a handful of stocks and then hedging those long bets with the entirety of the market. So they are uh, short selling the indexes and they are long probably Microsoft, Google and uh, Amazon uh, and Facebook. So, so that's uh, why we don't see any uh, pricing in of the debt ceiling crisis in the equity market. Okay. Um, that is something that Jerome Powell, Jerome Powell said on Friday um, that has caught the market's attention. He said tighter credit conditions from the turmoil at U.S. banks could limit the extent of future um, rate hikes that are needed to reach um, the 2% inflation target. Mr. Powell said why financial stability tools help to calm conditions in the banking sector. Developments there are contributing to tighter credit conditions and are likely to weigh on economic growth, hiring and inflation. Um, the markets have seized on this and taken this as, as quite a good sign, or at least until today anyway, um, before some uh, some of the Fed uh, presidents uh, rather put the dampener on that, that uh, interest rates aren't going to rise um, anymore. Um, what are your thoughts? Are, are you seeing signs of tighter credit conditions in the United States? Absolutely, yes. And it's going to get worse. Everyone expects it. But I applaud uh, Mr. Powell. He's sounding a lot like uh, Alan Greenspan because uh, his words are so ambiguous. You can <laughs> study them almost word by word and string that sentence together. It's, um, yeah, he's, um, he wants to hedge and he's trying to thread a needle as well. He wants to bring down inflation. He doesn't want to kill the economy and you want to do both. Can you? That's the question. But um, it looks to me like a pause is likely, but I know Stuart Allcraft disagrees. Uh, well, I do, Barry, because I think part of the problem, as you actually highlighted, is that um, the target of getting inflation down to 2% remains very tough. And with full, un full employment almost being reached in the United States, that doesn't help either. They, they, they actually want to see a little bit more of unemployment occur. And that doesn't seem to be that likely in the short term um, from, from what what we're reading. So I think, um, yes, I mean, you're, you're right. Jay Powell is very good at being ambiguous. He's very good at uh, um, playing both sides of this coin. And uh, I think that uh, if we see inflation figures not coming down between now and the next uh, Fed meeting in the middle of June, um, there will still be some pressure to see another 25 basis points rise. So, James, you get the opportunity to, to break the tie here between uh, Stuart and Barry. Um, Neil Kashkari, the Minneapolis Fed president, said rates are going to go north yeah. of 6%. Where, where do you stand? Are you with him or are you with Barry and think we've reached the peak? I think there's, there's probably going to be one or one yeah, one more uh, hike. Uh, we're, we're probably going to see a skip in June because Kashkari, one of the two, the other being James Fuller, Two most outspoken uh, hawkish Fed officials really just hinted us that there might be a skip. Yeah, so I think that's, I think that's a more likely outcome. 
for June, but uh, if we look at the uh, CPI numbers, if we look at the manufacturing PMI, if we look at the first uh, initial unemployment uh, benefits uh, appliers, uh, we or even we look at the ADP figures, we can we can we can see a pattern emerging, which is the headline numbers are not going to be pretty, and uh, the uh, but the price component keeps on rising or cannot be suppressed. So uh, if we look at the manufacturing PMI, the new order, the number of new order is uh, decreasing, but the uh, the price of the new orders are on the rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we look at the uh, employment data, we can find, for, for example, the first time, the initial unemployment benefit, uh, the number of initial unemployment benefits suppliers are on the rise, but the unit price for uh, the unit labor cost is on the rise, and so there there are examples like this uh, throughout the data that's been released for the past month in the United States. So I think the pattern is pretty clear. Uh, if there is a recession, it's probably probably not going to be that serious. If the, but it, more likely there is going to be definitely a uh, a stagflation where price is still on the rise and it's sticky, and the uh, the Fed is going to find. Uh, it's it's not that easy to contain the price or to make the price the CPI or the core PCE down to where they prefer. So I, I'm for a higher interest rate for a longer time. Okay. You see, James is beginning to sound like Jay Powell. <laughs> no, no, she he he's more much much better much better at uh, manage, managing expectations. I can't be that ambiguous. <laughs> Well, let me ask you about some of the uh, the data that we've had out of this region. The People's Bank of China left its one-year and five-year loan prime rates um, unchanged yesterday for the ninth consecutive month. The one-year loan prime rate, which is the benchmark for corporate loans, is at 3.65%. The five-year loan prime rate, which references home mortgages, is unchanged at 4.30%. A lot of people have been talking about more stimulus from uh, from Beijing in light of the economic data that we had last week, which many people thought was um, was disappointing. Do you think we're likely to see that? I don't think the, the PBOC is going to engage in any kind of uh, loosening monetary policy anytime soon because they are facing a dilemma of uh, having more stimulus in monetary policy-wise and the uh, the uh, depreciation of the uh, of the yuan. And uh, we've, we've seen yuan breaching the lowest point of this month, uh, of the of this year and mm. last week, and I don't think PBOC wants to see the yuan back, uh, yuan uh, went back to 7.2 like last November, and because uh, PBOC, I think they, they are pretty uh, aware of the fact that the value of the yuan actually depends on the economy. Uh, it's not really depends on the intervention, which at this point or at last Friday, uh, they made it pretty clear that they were not interested in doing it. So uh, if they, but however, if they, if they uh, push any uh, uh, loosening monetary policy out, the the yuan, the value of the yuan, and, and the rate differentials between China and U.S. is going to become more extreme, and the value of yuan is going to going down probably even more. So I, I think they are reluctant at this point to to cut rates. Stuart, let me get your thoughts on Hong Kong inflation. Accelerated to 2.1% uh, last month, uh, rising from 1.7% in the previous two months. But I suppose when you compare to the rest of the world, inflation here and on the mainland in particular, um, pretty well under control, isn't it? Yes, I think most parts of the world would uh, 
gagged to get the sort of inflation rates that we've been having in Hong Kong. Um, we we are having very modest levels of inflation. Let's be let's be very clear about it. We've been insulated quite a lot from. Uh, higher oil prices, higher energy prices, and our economy has been bouncing back a little bit because of the influx of tourism again from the mainland. So I think um, I think that might actually stimulate inflation. But I think, you know, the bottom bottom line is that uh, uh, inflation, um, according to the government figures, seems to be under control. I have to say, in my personal experience. Prices do seem to have gone up in many areas, especially in food, but it doesn't seem to have been um, reflected so clearly in, in these uh, overall inflation numbers. Uh, and I think that's um, probably to the government's advantage here. OK. And Barry, your turn. Let me get your thoughts then on the Taiwan export orders, because that's sort of a window, really, isn't it, on global trade overall, the state of the global economy. Taiwan exports fell for an eighth straight month on weak demand. Orders for Taiwanese exports dropped 18.1 percent. They were down 25.7 percent in March and a continued decline for electronics in particular, falling almost 22 percent. Um, every time, every month that we look at these, um, there just doesn't seem to be any pickup in demand globally. Oh, boy. It, it, in one sense, Peter, that's, that's out of my knowledge base. I, 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 I think trade is rebounding. I noticed that the head of the World Trade Organization in Hiroshima was, was saying that she didn't see any deleterious effect on global trade in the last uh, six months. But, uh, yeah, I think Taiwan is important. But let's not forget, every one of those G7 countries, I know Taiwan's not there, China's their number one trading partner, mm. <laughs> really, um, or at least if, if, if within Europe. I mean, it, it's it's somewhat uh, different, but um, I don't see that the trade is deteriorating. I don't see it in the supermarkets or in the big box retailers in the states. I, I think that um, things have been surprisingly good, but I'll just leave it there. Mm. It's odd, isn't it? Because the US, US economy is doing rather well at the moment, certainly defying expectations. And yet you see other data that suggests uh, the, the global economy is, is slowing sharply. But that's certainly not being reflected on what you see when you move around the United States. Quite right. Quite right. James, I just want to get a, a quick thought on the on the markets. The thing that's been standing out the, the last couple of weeks, Japanese stocks and a new 33-year high um, now. Is, is this the market that we should be looking at? Oh, yes, definitely. I think the uh, the removal of the uh, Yoko control measure for um, Japan is probably going to be the biggest surprise this year. And I think people are already betting it or have been betting on it for uh, three months, uh, like Warren Buffett. So, yeah, I, I would definitely look at the, the uh, Japanese market. And, and you think but that... The only, the, the only question I would have, Peter, though, is that the Japanese market is now at its high for after 33 years. Is it really... Um, is there much left to be had in the market? And uh, I'm sure James will probably be quite positive on that. I think many people would be quite positive that there is quite a lot left to be had in the Japanese market uh, because uh, it is doing quite well. What do you think, James? Is there more to go? Yeah, I think the next wave of uh, positive impacts probably come from the appreciation of yen uh, after the YCC is removed. 
Mm. You you seem very confident that it is going to be removed. I mean, the uh, the new governor, uh, Mr. Ueda, has ordered a review of Bank of Japan policies, yeah. which could take a year to 18 months. But you're, you're basically saying uh, that the yield curve control is going to go, what, way before the end of that period? I think I, I'm hoping for before the end of the year. Oh, OK, well, then that will be a surprise for the markets, won't it? And I would have thought that certainly gives a boost to uh, to Japanese stocks. Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts there this morning. You have James Wong, who is Chief Executive Officer at Cathasia Securities. Barry Wood, our US economics correspondent, who is in Hong Kong this morning. And our regular Tuesday morning commentator, Asian fund management industry consultant, Stuart Oldcroft. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow with more Money Talk. With more business and finance headlines. And to discuss them, I'll be joined by Capital Preservation Specialist for Individuals, Enzio Ronfile, and Mitchell Katecha, who is Head of Emerging Market Strategy at TD Securities. With a view from Japan is Tokyo based journalist and author William Pesic. And if you want some more information on some of the top stories from the region, please take a look at my daily newsletter, which is on PeterLewisMoneyTalk.substack.com. See you tomorrow. Money Talk 